The National Broadcasting Company presents... Flash. One. Single. Very low. Seen. Three Edith sixteen. Overhead. Northwest. Eyes aloft. Watching the sky. Watching for planes flying the lanes up above. Eyes aloft. Eyes aloft. The 4th Fighter Command of the United States Army Air Forces, in cooperation with West Coast radio stations, presents this Christmas week program, honoring the 150,000 volunteer, civilian observers, and filter center workers whose round-the-clock vigilance keeps watchful guard of the Pacific Coast against attack by enemy planes. Eyes along, night and day, will help protect the Ken Carpenter speaking, and Merry Christmas to you all. Tonight, we of the Eyes Aloft radio program, we, the cast, the actors, the members of the orchestra, and its leader, Gordon Jenkins, the four boys of the sportsman quartet, our writer, all of us join in presenting you of the Aircraft Warning Service with a holiday gift, a special Christmas time program. Christmas is surely in the air again, for here in the studio, where we've been working all day, we've found real enjoyment in rehearsing just a little bit harder on the songs, the orchestral background scores, the dramatic spots. And now, as we go on the air, we hope that our gift to you will sparkle gaily with the joy of Christmas and will carry our solemn hope for merrier and more peaceful days to come. So now, here is your eyes aloft, Santa, your narrator, Gane Whitman. Merry Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. First, here is a Christmas message which General W.E. Kepner, commanding the 4th Fighter Command, wishes us to send out to the thousands of members of the Aircraft Warning Service. General Kepner's message reads... To all our volunteers, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. A year that will stand out in history, showing what Americans can do when they are working together, fighting for the peace which the Christmas season exemplifies. The officers, enlisted men, and I want you to know how your unselfish service has given us added zest, knowing how staunchly you stand beside us. May your holiday season be joyful. And may the gifts of service you are giving to your country be returned to you a thousandfold through the security of the America you are helping to protect. And the message is signed, W.E. Kepner, Brigadier General, USA. And we believe that every man and woman who serves in the civilian army of the 4th Fighter Command joins in returning the good Christmas wish to General Kepner and his military staff. I'm sure that we all pray that Christmas 1943 will be a more joyful holiday with the world at peace and our loved ones gathered once more about the home's hearthside. And now we want to retell a beautiful and true story that happened last December, December of 1941. One year ago, last December, when the Ground Observer Corps was first being activated, a little community in Douglas County, Oregon, found itself faced with a serious problem. The small and well-to-do farming community of Camas Valley is nestled among the rolling mountains of the Coast Range. Winter. At the time, Camas Valley was supposed to support two observation posts. One atop Dutchman Butte, 
the other up on Live Oak Mountain. Three feet of snow and ice made it impossible for observers to negotiate the daily trips to the post. So an observers' meeting was called by the post's organizer, John Stanley. Now let's keep the meeting in order, folks. It's getting late. Now, how are we going to settle our problem? Well, John, I don't see how we're going to keep two posts running this winter. Well, what do we do? Call up the Army and tell them we're going to fall down on the job? Well, we've got to find some way. Yeah, some way, but you can't even get a horse up the last two miles on Dutchman Butte now. Too much ice and snow. Well, there's a road up to the top of Live Oak Mountain. If we can keep it open this winter, over two feet of snow on Live Oak as it is, John. John. Well, who spoke up then? I didn't see. Me. Ed Bushman. You any suggestions, Ed? Well, I kind of think our community shouldn't fall down on this job for the Army. I'd hate to think other towns and communities are keeping their posts open. Canvas Valley couldn't take care of our own. Yeah, well, what do you think we should do, Ed? Well, I'm going to have some free time for a while this winter. I'll go up and live on Dutchman View. Well, that's fine, Ed, but do you think you can spare all that time? Well, I guess it's for a good cause, John. I can spare the time. Of course, maybe somebody else has put in some time with me. After all, a fella can't keep watch 24 hours a day. Have to sleep a little. Well, maybe we can get somebody else to go up there with you, Ed. That night, as the town meeting progressed, others did volunteer to take week-long shifts with Ed Bushnell, the man who offered to keep the Dutchman Butte Post open throughout the winter. They were the Harding brothers, Jerry, 18 years old, and Jack, 20. And there was Vic Stanley, 15, who offered to spend every third week up there with Ed Bushnell. That took care of Dutchman Butte. But there was still the problem of how to keep Live Oak Mountain Post in operation. The meeting had gone on till nearly midnight when... Now, let's keep quiet, folks, please. Please. We've taken up a collection here to maintain the two posts. So far tonight, you've donated $380, and that's good. Now, what about Live Oak Post? John. Yes, Mrs. Sandley? Some of us women have been talking together back here. We'll man Live Oak Post this winter. Oh, now, wait. Uh, no, no, just a minute. If you get me up there, I'll go up and live there this winter. Now, hold on, Mrs. Sandley. That isn't a job for a woman. I said I'd go up there and keep the post open this winter. My girls, Bonnie Jean and Dorothy, will each come up for a week. And Mrs. Elsie Baker and Mrs. Martindale say they'll come up when they can for a week. We'll keep it open some way. Well, Mother just said I could go up there for a week. Okay. That was Quinta Cole volunteering as a relief observer, Mrs. Stanley. Fine. Glad to have Quinta. And anybody else who's willing to help out. Now, uh, if somebody in town can furnish a truck or some kind of transportation... I'll be ready to start up to Live Oak tomorrow morning. On the following morning, two parties started out from the town of Camas Valley with winter supplies. The men went to Dutchman Butte. The other group, the women, Mrs. Philip Stanley and her young daughter, Bonnie Jean, accompanied by a group of men to see them up to the top of Live Oak Mountain and get them settled. Toward noon, the little party finally reached the windblown crest of Live Oak Mountain. Reaching the little cabin there, found the door jammed shut by ice. Snowdrift was easy enough to shovel away from the door. The eyes were having trouble picking out. Uh, Mrs. Stanley, Bunny, don't you want to stand over here closer to the building? No, we're all right. 
right. Just get that door open. My feet are half frozen. Well, stamp on them, Bonnie. Oh, I'm all right, Mother. How are you coming, Jim? Oh, get this chunk out of here. Yeah. I think we can open the door now. Turn it all open. <laughs> Say, I worked up a good heat with that pickaxe. Come on, Jim, help me. Put your shoulder against the door with me. You'll be able to bust it loose together. Okay, let me in here. All right. Steady now. One, two, three. <clears throat> Come on. Well, there we are. Come on, ladies, inside here. Get out of the cold. Oh, I good to get out of that bitter wind. No, I thought for a while we'd never make it up here. I'm not at all sure you should try to stay up here, Mrs. Stanley. Oh, Tush. We're here and we're going to stay. Now, let's get organized around here. Well, okay, okay. Jim, yeah? you got the kindling. Build a fire and a heater here. Okay, right away. I think I'll make some coffee for us all. Bonnie, you unpack this carton with the cooking utensils and food. Yes, Mother. And one of you other men out there, bring in the big jug of water before it freezes. Yes, sir. Bring in the other supplies, the blankets and stuff. Oh, Heavens, I'm going to close this door. Well, I'll close it for you, Miss Stanley. Here's a coffee pot. I say, here's a coffee pot, Mother. Uh, yes, Bonnie. Just uh, set it on the table till the men get the fire started. I was, I was just looking out this window here. Hey, a great place up here on the mountaintop for an observation post. We can see all over, in every direction. Yes. We can see all over. All over God's country. Yeah. Yeah. God's country. It's so beautiful. So serene. So calm and peaceful down there in our valley below. Got a little extra snow this year, Mrs. Stanley. Yeah. We'll have a white Christmas. I think it's fun coming up here. Don't you, Mother? Fun, Bonnie. Fun. Oh, darling. Well, I know. No, it's our duty. It's the duty of the people of our community to come up here and keep this post in operation day and night, as long as the Army needs us. And that'll be as long as the war lasts, I guess. Yeah. Just look down there below. It's our valley, our home, to love and protect. What? Why, Mother, why are you crying? No, Mrs. But, Mother. Oh, you're so young, Bonnie Jean. You don't quite understand it all yet. I understand about a lot of things. I know, dear, I know. But you said, why are you crying, Mother? Why am I crying? Maybe I don't know. Maybe I... I can't tell you. When you get older, Bonnie Jean, you'll understand how a person can look down at the country he loves and... Oh, what's the matter with me? Hey, I think the men are coming with the wood and the rest of the stuff now, Mrs. Stanley. Oh, heavens. I'm standing here crying like an old... <laughs> Come on, open the door. Have them bring the wood in. We'll build the fire. Bonnie, you make the beds on the two cots. Yes, Mother. And we'll get some coffee brewing and all get warmed up. Maybe you're right, Bonnie. We will have fun up here this winter. By Christmas Eve, Mrs. Philip Stanley had served 16 days on icy Live Oak Mountain. Her daughter stayed for a week. Then other ladies came up, put in days and nights so Mrs. Stanley wouldn't be alone. 
Mrs. Elsie Baker was with her Christmas Eve. At midnight, the telephone rang. Startled them both. Oh, heaven! Startled me. I'll answer, Mrs. Stanley. Well. Hello? Merry Christmas up there. Merry Christmas, ladies. Well, Merry Christmas yourself. Who is it? John Stanley, down in town. Report any planes tonight? Tonight? We haven't reported any since we've been up here. Who is it, Mrs. Baker? John Stanley. Called to wish us Merry Christmas. Oh, that's nice. Well, keep on with your watching. Uh, down here in town, we just wanted you girls to know we're all thinking of you. Well, we'll keep watching. Don't worry. Is Mrs. Stanley there, Mrs. Baker? Yes, of course she's here. Well, tell her to come up by the phone. What? I say tell her to come up by the phone so you can both listen. We want you to hear something. Well, I'll tell her. What is it? Come up here by the phone, Mrs. Stanley. They want us both to hear something. What is it they want? I don't know. Here. I'll hold the receiver like this. Can you hear now? I think so. Hello? We're ready. Hello, girls. Way up there. Can, can you hear us now? Yes, I can. Yes, yes. Well, uh, some of the folks down here in town, all of us who were observers, uh, you sort of took over our duties. We, we gathered here at the telephone office and... We want to sing you a Merry Christmas. Oh, isn't that sweet of them? No, no, no. Just uh, hold on just a second while we kind of get started. <laughs> what a Merry Christmas it could be if the world were at peace. Such was Christmas 1941, the first Christmas that America was engaged in World War II, the first Christmas that American civilians were given the right to work directly with the Army. For example, in that one little community from December 9, 1941 to February 25th, for 72 long days and nights, loyal Mrs. Stanley and her five relief observers kept vigil at Live Oak Mountain Post. And on Dutchman Butte, Ed Bushnell and his three observers kept that post open. When the trails were again negotiable to daily travel, other observers came to relieve them and share in the vital work. And mind this, not once in those 72 days did those courageous people sight or report a single airplane. Discouraging? They say not. Useless? No. They were waiting. Waiting and watching ready to help warn their nation of the possible approach of an enemy by air. That is the sort of constant day-in and night-out Christmas gift 150,000 volunteer civilians of the Aircraft Warning Service are giving America this year. Christmas has always been one of America's greatest traditions. 
some say that Christmas in America has become too commercial. Well, maybe it has. Maybe it hasn't. That isn't the point. The point is, we all love Christmas. To each one of us, Christmas means something just a bit different. But here in America, to all of us, it means such things as Santa Claus and Christmas trees loaded with tinsel and lights and ornaments. It means to some, holiday parties. Moment of thanksgiving and prayer to others. To still others, Christmas means the exchange of gifts, the reunion of families at the festive board, or snow and sleigh rides and ice skating parties and friends and... Well, what does Christmas mean to you? This year, Christmas is a bit different. Our nation is at war. We're fighting for so many things. Among them, oh yes indeed, among the things we're fighting for is a simple right to always continue to observe Christmas and the Yuletide holidays in the way we've always been accustomed to observe them. Let me ask you a question. What would Christmas be to a child, perhaps your child, without Santa and toys? How would you like a black Nazi swastika, a crooked cross hanging in the window of your home instead of America's traditional wreath of holly? Oh, no, none of us would like that. Well, as long as you wholeheartedly join the fight to down the axis, as long as you and you and all of us here at home help, there'll always be a Christmas. Suppose, just suppose, that this year when you observers and filter center workers gather on Christmas Eve to serve your watches while others are at home, suppose you pause for a moment to sing a new, a modern sort of Christmas carol. Suppose... Suppose you sang our theme song, Eyes Aloft, as a carol of good cheer and hope. of all Christmases, a white Christmas for us this year and always.
I see was once a sentinel's cry. But a modern 20th century Paul Revere must watch the A short time ago, Captain William K. Morgan, Regional Ground Observation Officer in Oregon, sent us a copy of an inspired piece of writing he had heard delivered on a Portland radio program called The Mighty Meat. The program is conducted by a prominent Portland attorney, C.W. Robinson. Christmas will soon be with us, so it seems timely to include in tonight's broadcast this beautiful piece written by Mr. Robinson. He titled it, Those Who Watch. I saw her trudging up a snow-clad road, up to a little building, shack, if you please, at the top of the hill. There wasn't about the shack the trappings of war. It was just a little shack with a rusty stove and an antiquated telephone and a chair and a table and all the inconveniences to which she was never accustomed in that home in the valley. I wondered to myself, who are you? Why are you here? I asked her what was the little shack. She told me, a lookout, an observer station for enemy aircraft. She said it in a matter-of-fact sort of way, and yet with a certain seriousness in those gray eyes that startled me for a moment. In the days gone by, those who watched the heavens were called astrologers. Time dignified them. Study added to them the degree of astronomer. Today, only in derision do we refer to stargazers and seers. She was one who watches the heavens, a wise woman, strange these watchers in the night. In days gone by, we watched for a sign, for a symbol, for an omen, for a star in the heavens. Tonight, they watch for a sound or for a sign. They are new, those spies of the skies. Theirs is a secret, important mission the espionage of the air. They call them observers. They are patient ones, these observers. They watch while we sleep, guard while we go about business as usual. 20,000 of them in Oregon alone, men and women, the majority of them past 40 years of age. These 20,000 take the place of a division of soldiers. I... <laughs> more than a division of soldiers. They are the antennas of a great system, picking up every sound, constantly watching, waiting. The psalmist spoke of them when he said, Watchmen, what of the night? Shakespeare spoke of them when he said, How goes the night, boy? 
They are the eyes and the ears at dawn and at night, listening and watching for death that rides the wind of terror that flies skyways. They are an integral part of the mighty meat. For their work, there is no pay. For their vigil, only the reward that comes to those who feel the responsibility of a democracy on God. No great triumph will ever be theirs. History will consider them with but a line in the great page of events. But they are the great wall that protects you and me. They are the great veil that covers us all. As I saw her trudging up the winter's road to begin her lonely vigil, I took off my hat, as you would have done. And when the first star broke above the horizon, I knew who had placed it there and in whose honor it burned so brightly. This night, it shone on her and the thousands of others like her. It was the service star of freedom. Some say Americans are funny. They say we're sentimental and soft. We may be sentimental. Yes, that's good. But we're certainly proving we aren't soft. We can take it. The uniformed boys on the many fronts all over the world can not only take it, they have proved that they can dish it out. And those of us at home, those of us at home who pridefully do our part, we can take it and dish it out too. If rationing our gasoline, our tires, our bacon, shoes, clothes, and whatnot is the answer, we can take it indeed. If the Army needs civilian volunteers to help watch, to warn, to protect this land, we'll be there on the job. If we have to, we'll run a business, a farm, keep house, work in a factory, a shipyard, where not. And still, by day and night, as long as we're needed, We'll be on duty at those observation posts and the filter centers. Americans are restless. We always want something better, plus all the good and traditional American things we've always enjoyed and loved. And we'll fight for them. Yes, we'll always fight, so that we and our children and our children's children will always be able to celebrate Christmas. And so... From those of us of the Eisenhower program, from Gordon Jenkins, the sportsman, the Hollywoodman, the orchestra, the cast, our writer, Bob Red, yes, from all of us, and from the 4th Fighter Command of the United States Army Air Forces, we repeat with great hope, with full confidence, and with the best of cheer. We repeat once again, Merry Christmas. And in the very near days to come, peace on earth. Goodwill toward men.
saying good night and Merry Christmas to the 150,000 Aircraft Warning Service volunteer civilians who keep constant vigil of our home front so that America always will be safe from any attack by air. Happy holidays. Aloft is written and produced by Robert L. Rez. The music is composed and conducted by Gordon Jenkins. This is Ken Carpenter charging you to always remember Eyes Aloft. Eyes Aloft comes to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company.